Who are the most famous golfers in the world? Is there extra pressure being the returning champ? A little bit, but I mean, that's fun. Yeah. Don't you want to be the guy that everybody's gunning for? Brooks Kepka isn't on that list. Neither is John Rahm. Tiger Woods is still number one. The return to glory. But then it's Donald Trump. But I always enjoyed golf, and I've had a lot of fun with golf. Oh, partner, we're going to like that, partner. Barack Obama. Uh, President Obama talked trash all day. Five and a half hours, nothing but trash talk. And took all of our money. He's a great golfer, man. Doesn't hit the ball long off the tee, but he's straight as an arrow, man. And the next man on the list is probably Michael Jordan. There is no doubt that Michael's a better golfer okay. than I am. Uh, of course, if I was playing twice a day for the last uh, <laughs> 15 years, uh, right. then that might not be the case. So how did the greatest basketball player of all time become one of the world's most legendary golfers? I'm Sean Zach, and this is The Drop Zone. He is the brightest star in the NBA galaxy, the leading scorer in the league, a man who always has the right stuff, on the court or on the course. I'm here with my co-host Dylan DeChair. Yo, how's it going? You're a pretty big basketball fan. I know you watched the Sunday night ESPN, at least the first two episodes of the ESPN documentary. Yeah, and I mean, to me, the crazy thing about this documentary is it's not just about Jordan. It's become this cultural event. I feel like everyone, <laughs> everywhere, they're not up to much. So everyone was ready to post up for this event. Yeah, I did. I did it with my parents. My mom was the one who made it appointment viewing for the entire family back at home. So that's when you know it's a big deal. For our purposes, Michael Jordan is somewhat a big deal because he's a golf addict. I think there's probably no simpler way of putting it. The guy picked up the game in the 80s. He fell in love with it. He continued throughout the 90s, throughout his playing career, and now he's made it a massive part of his life ever since. We're going to dive into just what golf means to Jordan and what Jordan means to golf in this episode of The Drop Zone. Jordan has become this silent figurehead in the game. He attends every single Ryder Cup, basically. He's befriended a number of players down in Florida, players on the PGA Tour. He plays constantly. The stories that you hear about his game have become kind of legend, you know? He plays these private courses, and you hear Keegan Bradley and Luke Donald and Ricky Fowler kind of talk about what it's like to play with MJ. It's kind of ferocious. He ends up having these five and six and seven-figure wagers on their little matches. It's kind of crazy. But most recently, he even founded his own golf club. So he can play whenever he wants, how he wants, with whomever he wants. Michael's kind of got golf figured out. It seems like... Anytime I'm at the Bears Club, you're out there wheeling around in your golf cart with a cigar in your mouth. I smoke six cigars a day, maybe. Do you play golf almost every day? Almost every day. And sometimes 36 holes? Always 36 holes. And what's your handicap these days? Four, and it's a bad four. So don't, yeah, I don't, heard, don't think that you no, can take heard, advantage of No, I heard it was a two, it's, so no, I mean, I'm just... A four. Uh, Helen Ross from the PGA Tour, she wrote a story uh, three years ago detailing how Jordan was introduced to the game by Davis Love, of all people. What's your favorite Michael Jordan story? When we first got him playing golf, I had an old wooden driver back in the day, and um, he wanted to hit a driver off the tee, so he hit mine, and it broke. And he thought I set him up. He hit it so hard that he that he broke my wooden driver, probably because he didn't hit it in the middle of the club face. But um, we created a monster with him. Davis Love was able to scrap up a, a full bag and some golf balls that Jordan could use whenever he wanted to play. Everyone needs their own set of clubs. So MJ very quickly got the golf bug, as one does, as you did, as I've done. But Dylan, 
He ends up getting really good at it. Tell me about this Kemper Lakes Beat the Pro event. Yeah, I mean, good lord. First of all, this is 1987. MJ is the newly minted scoring champ. So he's scoring 37 points every (laughs) night. First team All-NBA, obviously, but he's also getting really good at golf. Hi, I'm Warner Saunders, and welcome to Channel 5's Beat the Pro Contest. Uh, It's hosted by uh, this local TV station where basically they bring in celebrity guests, and he gets one shot at 150-yard par 3 to start off the day, and then everyone else just has to match it. You've got to get your ball closer to the hole than that of our celebrity pro. That'll qualify you to play in the Beat the Pro tournament. They've got golfers and golfers and golfers. Everyone wants to challenge MJ. Now I want to know, Michael, are you ready for this one? I'm ready. I've been practicing. So I was wondering if he would chunk it or skull it or do anything that any of us might do in a high-pressure situation. (laughs) Yeah, I would not handle this well. Pressure's going to be on him. Pressure's different. Golf is is a fun game, but it's a pressure game. You know, it's 150 yards, and it's Michael Jordan, so for him, that's just a pitching wedge. There's a little drizzle, and he grabs pitching wedge. The camera's right on him, and he peers it. It's there, man. That's not bad. I don't think they can beat that. Eight feet, one and a half inches. Directly over the flagstick. It almost hits the flagstick on the way by. Lands, you know, four or five feet past, ends up eight feet, one inch away, and nobody beat him all day. Not a single golfer. All right, my turn again. Jordan's basketball dominance ascended at this point. He becomes MVP. He wins a couple titles, but his golf also ascends. He becomes a mid-single-digit handicap by the mid-90s. He skipped the Bulls' first visit to the White House after their 1991 championship in order to play golf. Yeah, more on that later, too. Davis Love, in 1991, was quoted by the Chicago Tribune saying that every single summer, Jordan goes down to Pinehurst. He's from Carolina. He blocks out a full hour's worth of tea times. So just so he can enjoy the peace and quiet, play at his own pace, I think that's one hell of a flex. But this brings me to one of my favorite Jordan golfisms during the 92 Olympics. I think it's one thing to be obsessed with the game, but if you look at what he did in that summer, Jordan makes it seem like he loves golf even more than he loves basketball, especially at the Olympics. Um, Davis Love actually told reporters around this time that he thought Jordan would pursue a career as a pro golfer after basketball. Will you play golf one day professionally? You've often said you'd like to. I would love to. You know, I'm a competitor. I know when basketball is, is not a part of me anymore, I'm, yeah. I'm not able to play. I'm going to need something to occupy that time, and golf does that for me. And, you know, being that I'm just going to play the game, I don't want to just play the game. I want to compete at that game. And if I ever get good enough, I'm certainly going to try. But if I'm not if, I have, if I'm if i not good enough, I'm certainly not going to embarrass myself. At this time, they were finally opening it up for professionals to compete on the basketball stage. It wasn't just an amateur competition which meant that we had to get Michael Jordan, right? We got Larry Bird, we got Magic Johnson. We need to get Michael Jordan involved. The thought back then was Michael Jordan plays 36 holes of golf 90 days during the summer. What the hell is he going to be doing playing basketball? (laughs) Daly, the head coach, in order to get Jordan to commit to the Olympic team, he had to promise Jordan that he could play golf wherever they went. 
whether it was qualifying or over in Spain, in Barcelona, in Monte Carlo, Jordan had to be able to play golf during the day prior to games at night. That was the promise. Ken Rosenthal, the famous baseball reporter, was working early in his career at the Baltimore Sun, and this is a quote that he has in his story. Jordan says, in 1984, we practiced twice a day, and if it was going to be like that, no way I would be here. But Chuck Daly reassured me. He said, bring your golf clubs, play basketball all night. That's what I've been doing. It's insane to think that MJ wouldn't have been on the dream team if they hadn't made concessions for him to play golf. The dream team doesn't exist without Jordan's promise that he could play golf every day. I mean, that quote from Ken Rosenthal came after he played 36 holes in the morning, shot 75, and then he shot 86, and then he shot hoops that night. They beat Panama in a qualifying game, 112 to 52, which kind of <laughs> means, you know, the dream team probably doesn't need Jordan, but they wouldn't be as legendary of a squad without him, obviously. Yeah, it's not the dream team without Jordan, and Jordan is not there without golf, so. Weird. Golf gave you the dream team. <laughs> uh, so he brings his golf clubs over to Spain. They played Monte Carlo Golf Club constantly. At least 18 holes each day for Jordan, sometimes 36. Obviously, it doesn't hurt when your head coach also plays golf. Rick Riley would later report that Chuck Daly beat Jordan one morning during the summer games. He beat him by one stroke. And Daly, I think he might have been joking, but he kind of implied that he was not going to play with Jordan again. He had beaten him once. That's enough for him. And according to Riley's story, quote, the next morning at the crack of dawn, Jordan rang Daly's room. He got no response, went directly to Daly's room and knocked. Then he pounded. He would not go away until he got his rematch. He got it, and he won by a shot. The ruthless competitor... He's like unable to accept when he loses. My brother, whenever I used to beat my brother in anything, we always had to do double or nothing. Like that's what Jordan was all about. Anyway, uh, 17 years later, 2009, Jordan would end up auctioning off his golf goods from like the 92 summer for charity. It's this big old Wilson golf bag. I think you're kind of a big deal if, you know, sporting goods from just your hobby that you play on the side if you can actually auction that stuff off. How much did that stuff go for? Honestly, it didn't go for that much. The golf bag probably went for like $1,800. Some other things like uh, a golf hat just didn't sell as much as they wanted to, but all the proceeds went to charity. So it was it was all good. I would shell out for a Jordan game used <laughs> golf gambling hat. Yeah, same. Uh, that Chuck Daly story though, I think is probably the best transition for Jordan's gambling issues, golf gambling. Uh, I think you found out a bunch of epic stuff that happened. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned your brother always wanting to play double or nothing because uh, <laughs> that definitely seemed to be Jordan's M.O. also. I mean, as his golf legend grew, there were these stories that began to leak out of just what it was like to play with the guy. Why are there rumors, unsubstantiated, quite unsubstantiated, that still exist out there that relate your departure to gambling? He would play cards on team planes. There's a legendary story about uh, he would bet his teammates whose luggage was going to come out first. <laughs> then they figured out that he had paid off the airline employees to make sure that his came out first. So I think that was a quick way to make a thousand bucks for him. But wow. more serious was when a golf partner of his, this guy named Richard Esquinas, released a book about his own gambling addiction, well, and his association with MJ. 
It was called Michael and Me, Our Gambling Addiction, My Call for Help. That's such a a sullen, like sad, sad title. Yeah. I I mean, if you talk about tell-all books, this is a tell-all book. Uh, And it includes one particularly noteworthy story about Jordan's habits on the course. There's even a book out that claims he's addicted to gambling and that he doesn't pay his debts. When we caught up with him at a celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe last weekend, he told me he's going to change his ways. As Jordan began losing, eventually turned into this series of double or nothing matches. And it starts off with some five-figure bets, works its way up. Jordan is down at one point $626,000. And so, of course, this is all according to the account of Eskinas, but Eskinas says he doesn't want to double it up again. He doesn't want to do double or nothing for, you know, over a million dollars. But this is Michael Jordan. We know that Michael Jordan does not like to lose he does not like to walk away after losing And he's supposed to be good for this amount like mj is very wealthy and he can cover this right you figure he's a pretty liquid guy at this point but he insists you know all right this is it just one more time we'll play for 1.25 million dollars <laughs> so eventually he gets a skinus to agree you know he says look i'm good for it they play and mj loses again I don't know how many matches in a row he's lost at this point. Maybe like six or seven matches in a row. Uh, And so suddenly MJ owes this guy $1.25 million. And allegedly is a a key word in this story because afterwards Jordan called the claims exaggerated. He said he didn't really deny it, but he said he hadn't kept track of the actual debts. Uh, The NBA did look into this. They found it credible enough to investigate a little bit more. The question always followed him around after that. Was MJ addicted to gambling? This kind of reminds me of our Golden Tee matches. Yeah. I mean, the stakes are on a slightly different level. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't don't like to walk away after a loss. Exactly. Uh, And the closest thing that Jordan ever came to admitting anything about his gambling was in an interview with Bob Green, where he said, look, was I gambling with goons who had bad reputations? Yeah, I was. (laughs) So... He's not saying, look, my hands are clean. He's more saying, hey, look, technically, this stuff's all legal. Um, Esquina said he eventually paid him off for $300,000, which is kind of a discount if you believe the whole story, but who knows. Um, I don't want to be calling anyone a goon with a bad reputation exactly, but Jordan did spend quite a bit of time playing golf with a guy named James Slim Buhler. <laughs> And that's actually the guy that he was playing with when he skipped that White House trip in 1991. Uh, Buhler did happen to be a drug dealer. He was arrested for uh, money laundering later on, but he did play a lot of golf with MJ. (laughs) He did play a lot with MJ, and he had a good quote about Jordan's gambling habits. He said, the only people who are saying Michael Jordan is having a gambling problem are the people who don't know Michael. Some people love to eat. Some people love to fish. Some people like to hunt. Some people like to drink beer. And some people love to gamble. Michael Jordan loves to gamble. Yeah, I think that's a gambling problem. <laughs> yeah, I guess comparing it to drinking beer is, uh, you know, some people don't drink beer in necessarily the most healthy way. So I don't know if that was exactly the comparison he was going for. But through all this, Jordan was making further inroads in the golf world. Uh, Even when he was retiring from basketball, becoming a pro baseball player, becoming a basketball player again, 
Uh, he was escaping to the golf course. That was always a constant. He joined uh, one club, I think then several clubs outside of Chicago. Started to drive for his fifth championship. Of course, he spent his summer doing some driving out on the golf course. I paid a visit to... Uh, in 1994, he played with Arnold Palmer in the Ameritech Senior Open Pro-Am at Stonebridge in Aurora. Wow. And uh, 15,000 people showed up to watch he and Arnie yeah, walking I around for that. a pro-am. We still don't know the full truth of all of this, but some stories have been leaking out. Some of Jordan's golf partners have been excited to tell the occasional story. I've never been under more pressure. I apologize, <laughs> I apologize to Michael for saying this. Then there's a story from Sir Charles Barkley, another NBA legend who was diving into the golf world. Uh, this was before the Barkley swing hitch guy that you know mm, now. But so bad. He would play a fair amount of golf with Jordan, but he said he never had the urge to play for the same stakes that MJ insisted on with other playing partners. We'd be playing golf with certain people, and we'd be playing a couple hundred dollars a hole, nothing but. And then he'd be playing some guy for like $100,000. <laughs> uh, like, he's like, Charles, pick that up. I'm like, just put this for $200. He's like, pick that up, Charles. Get out of my way. You're in my line. I said, well, how much did that put for? He's like, $300,000. I said, let me get out of your line. <laughs> hey. And from reading these stories, it's not that Jordan always needs like mega stakes. You know, he would play with some guys in the cart barn, it sounds like, for five bucks. He always needed something. He always needed mm -hmm. some kind of stakes. But it was just when the money got flowing, then it would really get flowing. So it seems like Barkley stayed on the smart side of this. MJ gets involved with the modern golf world and with the PGA Tour specifically, but his entry point was really Justin Thomas, who he met in Louisville when JT was just a skinny teenager. Yeah, um... I'm sure he probably put a lot of other people on the list before me, but we've definitely had some good times together. They always play 36 holes, and they had started on number three for some reason. So when they were coming, finishing up the, the second 18, he, he always called me little man. So he's like, little man, tell your dad to go get your clubs. He's like, you're going to play the last seven with us. My dad went in, got my clubs. I got my clubs. Um, and MJ just said on the tee, he goes, all right. He goes, I got little man. We'll take on whoever wants us and everyone's kind of laughing, see, looking at me, and you know, there's eight of them, so we got all these different games, and he's like, you know, don't worry about, don't worry about what we're playing for. He's like, no one needs to say it. We'll play our usual game, and, um, and then I teed off from their tees, and they're all telling me, oh, no, it's okay. You can go up there. I'm like, no, I'll play these tees. It's fine, and, and I made four birdies and seven holes, and uh, they didn't think it was so cute and funny anymore. <laughs> so that was kind of a preview of what was to come. Jordan becoming completely enmeshed with some of the top players in the U.S., even with the U.S. Ryder Cup team, which uh, you found out some stuff about. I found out so much stuff about his dreams of being involved in the Ryder Cup, really. People probably remember uh, Davis Love crowned Michael Jordan as an official assistant captain back in 2012. That's the Medina Ryder Cup just outside of Chicago. And when you think about it, it wasn't a completely ridiculous thing because the guy, Michael Jordan, Chicago legend, he adores golf, loves competition, and he's been at a bunch of Ryder Cups in the past. But Jordan was asked to be an official advisor and motivator for the 2012 American team. He's out there in his gigantic baggy jeans, My cigar God. in his hand. Those uh, jeans, by the way, and his <laughs> pants in general, it's one of the most iconic things about MJ, these yeah. balloon pants. 
it's quite the look. I remember seeing him there because I was attending one of the practice rounds with my grandpa at the time, and it was kind of kind of crazy to see MJ walking around a golf course inside the ropes. Must have been an honor for him to see you, you know, kind of in your pre-golf.com yeah, days. Totally. Uh, Jordan is always at the Ryder Cup. I have noticed after going through Getty's archives, there are photos of him riding in a golf cart in 1997 with the captain, Tom Kite. That's at the Valderrama Ryder Cup in Spain. Uh, you keep scrolling, and this one will hit close to home for you. He's dapping up Payne Stewart at the 99 Ryder Cup at Brookline. Uh, it looks like he was not at the 2002 Ryder Cup at the Belfry, though. But Jordan gets back at it in 04. He's hanging with Mario Lemieux, Ahmad Rashad, his homie, at the Oakland Hills Ryder Cup. That's outside of Detroit. He's walking inside the ropes with Elon Nordegren, Tiger's ex-wife, at the K-Club. That's in 06. He's also broing it up with Sergio. He's yeah. always had fun. He's always had fun with Sergio. Well, and I think that that relationship with Tiger is something that, you know, was a big deal for Tiger early on. Now, Mike's in a position where I think my life is going. And, you know, I I went through some problems where and I didn't know how to handle some certain situations. Like? And, like dealing with, with um, uh, visibility, loss of privacy, um, articles. Um, mm -hmm. Just people in, in general, and Mike helped me out because Mike has, has already been there. He's um, established himself as, you know, probably the, the best basketball player that's ever lived, and you know, he's so well known mm -hmm. that what better person to relate to me? Like a, a testament to how insane it is that Tiger could just see the future that way and his confidence, but it also spoke to this crazy bond between like two of the most competitive athletes of this generation. Mm -hmm. Now, back to the Ryder Cup stuff. Of course, he is at the 08 Ryder Cup in Louisville. As you know, he's had some Louisville exploits when it comes to golf. He's seated on the back steps from the 13th hole. He's sitting there by himself. He's got this little handheld video player in his hands so he can track all the shots that are happening all around the golf course. You got to give the guy some credit at this point. He's not just like going to the Ryder Cup to pose up as a celebrity. The dude is locked in as an American golf fan. It's amazing. Which is cool. 2010, you guessed it, he's in the gallery now at Celtic Manor. 2012, as we discussed, he's a vice captain to Davis Love, but we didn't discuss how much he spurred Ian Poulter on to victory and kind of helped turn the tide for the European team. Oh, God. What did he do? This crucial match drew the attention of Ryder Cup enthusiasts and maybe the greatest athlete of his generation, Michael Jordan. He took it upon himself to help his country by making sure the Europeans, especially Ian Poulter, understood the magnitude of their match. Oh, God. Um, so on Saturday, it's the final four-ball match. Ian Poulter and Rory McIlroy are teamed up against Zach Johnson, Jason Duffner, the Americans, ZJ and Duff, they get out to an early lead, but on the back nine, Poulter and McElroy, they end up starting to make a little bit of charge on the 13th hole. Rory makes a birdie there. MJ is following along this group because he knows how important this final point of the day is. If the Americans win this match, the Ryder Cup is basically over. Like, there's almost no coming back from an 11 to 5 deficit on Sunday. Well, MJ is kind of getting out there, kind of just closer and closer to Ian Poulter and Rory trying to kind of exude some influence. One of the best athletes of all time, he's in my face. I think he's like six foot seven and he's a big dude in those big pants. Well, 
Poulter ends up kind of staring down MJ. He's trying to psych me out. Over my dead body is MJ getting one over me today. Even though MJ like wags his finger at him at one point, Poulter makes five straight birdies to finish. <laughs> they claim the final four ball point of the day. It's 10 to 6 going into Sunday. Of course, the next day, the Europeans come back. They win in epic fashion. So in some way, you can say that MJ, as an assistant captain, kind of screwed the American team. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't you can't really underestimate the insanity of Ian Poulter. So if you think he's going to be intimidated by Michael Jordan being there, or intimidated by anything really, it's probably just going to spur him on. Yeah, especially at the Ryder Cup. Uh, in 2014, MJ's there at Glen Eagles. There's this epic shot. Uh, this is, there's this epic photo of him kind of just posted up behind the first tee. He's all by himself. There's a big blue background. It's just MJ. That shot has been used all over the place on the internet. In 2016, MJ is at Hazeltine. I was there. I remember seeing him on the first tee, just kind of dapping ever, uh, just dapping up all the players. And then you and I were both at the 2018 Ryder Cup in France. And for some reason, I don't remember seeing him there, but he was there in France. Yeah. Like, how could he miss it? He was he's staying chummy with the United States team. Uh, on Wednesday night, he gave another speech to the team. He's talking. He tells a story about how in 1993, the NBA Finals, they're going for their three-peat. They were up 3-2, three to two, heading to Phoenix for games six and seven. And MJ, he pumps up his teammates by saying, I'm bringing one suit, one bag, one change of clothes. We're only going there for one game. That is what we are using to inspire golfers to hit the fairways in France. I think we can... Uh, soundly expect MJ to be there at, at Whistling Straits in September. I'm kind of worried that MJ has not been particularly successful, you know, as a no. Ryder Cup presence. I mean, the U.S.'s success over these years is not really lined up to... Uh, we basically just bow down to his celebrity and we're like, hey, you know what? Michael wants to be involved. He can be involved. Yeah, that's the problem with that one suit story, too, is like, what event has more unnecessary uniforms than the Ryder Cup. So, I don't know. They brought like 12 outfits for four days. But uh, away from the U.S. teams, you know, Jordan was getting tight and playing much more often with tour stars at home. So he knows these guys that are on these teams because they play together all the time. He'd play at the Bears Club or at the Floridian in South Florida with this early Jupiter crew. You know, Luke Donald was there. Keegan Bradley, Ricky Fowler. Um, Ricky had a great quote when asked about, you know, what do you guys play for? What are what are the stakes of these matches? He told uh, Jason Sobel, he'll play you for whatever you want, whatever makes you scared. That makes me scared. I know. Like, I, I, it makes me wonder what amount, what monetary amount would make me scared. Like if I'm playing with MJ and he says, Sean, we're playing for whatever makes you scared. What is that number? So, granted, Jordan is a Jupiter golf legend by now. He's kind of the godfather, and Keegan Bradley is one of the guys that got close to him, signed a shoe deal with him. Who knows if that had anything to do with uh, their matches or not. Well, that's that's the beautiful part about it. And that's that's why I love playing with him. I call him my human ATM. I can just go out there if I need some cash. I just call up MJ. But he... Uh, he he really is a good player. I mean, but in the, the fun part about playing with him is he's always in your ear. MJ, at the end of the day, was a great friend to him. He knew when to draw the line between, you know, this is 
fun on the course and this is all right my guy needs some support um but it's hard to beat two golf myth makers anthony kim and michael jordan being in one story so anthony kim told uh brian wacker about a decade ago actually he echoed what keegan said about jordan being an easy mark on the course because uh, he said this about mj he said have you heard that expression about taking candy from a baby <laughs> yeah mj and i played but i could never take any money from that man it's not like anything that mj plays against them for is really going to hurt him too much and my favorite story about that is a couple years ago, MJ had taken over the Charlotte Hornets Twitter account and was doing a back and forth with questions from fans. And you'd tweet at the Hornets and then MJ would respond from the Hornets. And Keegan tweeted at the Hornets basically saying, like, ask MJ about uh, our golf matches. And MJ responded from the Hornets Twitter account saying, you don't see me playing golf in Air Keegan's, do you? I've seen that swing. He's got this dip in it that's just getting more and more pronounced. I don't know yeah, what it is. I he's mean, not it, trending in the right direction. It's not It's not quite Barkley-esque, but I don't know what it is about these guys that just have that hitch. Uh, I mean, I'd love to play him as a four handicap, I think. I actually might get terrified once I was there in real life. Do you think that you could actually make a swing in front of Michael Jordan oh, first God. tee? I don't know. But uh, one thing that's clear about Jordan is how much he values control of the course when he's playing. Because, look, he belonged to some of the most private, exclusive clubs in South Florida, like the Bears Club and the Floridian. But that wasn't enough. Uh, he likes to be able to play in fivesome or sixsome. He likes to be able to play it <laughs> as fast as he wants, you know, under three hours for 18. So eventually this stuff wasn't enough. Uh, and so he decided to build his own golf club. And this place, Grove 23, is in... Yes. It's in Hobe Sound. You know, Ricky plays there quite a bit. Justin Thomas plays there quite a bit. I know Tiger at least got out there one or two times. No, they're not I as tight the, as they I heard the founding membership is million dollars. Founding investors, they had like 75 guys. They were all putting up at least a million dollars. I mean, it's Michael Jordan. You got you to gotta put up to uh, show up here. But the interesting thing about the routing at Grove 23 is that it's designed by this guy, Bobby Weed, and he made it in this... Uh, double helix type routing so it can be played in a bunch of different nine hole combinations or in shorter three hole loops or six hole loops there's all this flexibility where you can jump around from hole to hole which Jordan loves and basically what it all comes down to is like you never really have to stop playing right and that's part of MJ's identity is like just keep playing golf um <laughs> I don't know. So there's all these opportunities for emergency holes or you can settle a bet or, you know, basically just keep on going if the action is flowing. So, yeah, it's great for someone who loves double or nothing. There's always another hole that you can play. It kind of yeah. sounds like a golf maze. I know. That's kind of the impression I have. Hopefully we'll get out there at some point, but I don't know, maybe not after this podcast. Mm. Um, but so what do we make of this, Sean, at the end of the day? Is is Michael Jordan just nuts? Oh, man, I don't think he's nuts. I think he's just got the golf bug and he's an incredibly competitive person. And I've all I've often said that some of the most incredible athletes, Jerry Rice, Steph Curry, who are addicted to competition, it's 
not shocking when they find golf that they become addicted to that as well. Like it is not something that comes easy or natural to just about anyone, unless your father is teaching you how to play from two years old on like Tiger Woods. It's just kind of, it's a tricky damn game. I have a hard time with it. I play it and we just kind of beat our heads against the wall. (laughs) And I feel like that's kind of what Jordan has, has relished about it is you can continue to beat your head against the wall, have fun doing it doing that gamble a little bit get better at the game get worse at the game but have something to do every day especially when basketball is over with yeah and i i mean i think one of the reasons that people have always admired tiger woods is because he is at this like unattainable level of greatness you know there's nothing really relatable about the way tiger approached the game of golf but i think the way that mj approached the game actually was kind of relatable for some people uh this might sound crazy just given everything we've just said but the way he plays golf is some version of like golfers dreams he lives in this world where it's okay to play 36 holes every day where he can build his own private course from scratch and play with the best tour players in the world and you know bet whatever he wants to bet and obviously the reality is a little more complex um but on some basic level michael jordan is a guy who loves golf a lot and he just gets to play it 100% on his terms. That's going to do it for this week's episode of The Drop Zone, which was expertly produced by Lee Finer. Thanks, Lee. Next week, one woman won a Buick off of Tiger Woods. We'll tell you the bizarre story of how she did it and just what happened next. Thanks for listening. <laughs>